to our listeners. Welcome to this week's contribution of the news from the Worcester News, brought to you by the Equipment Service for the Blind and the Worcester News. Our service is free, but if you'd like to make a contribution or make any comments regarding our service, please pop a note in your wallet or give us a ring at Colin Chance House. I am Sally Rowe and my husband Ian and friend Rianne will be reading a selection of news. Alex Gwynn is our sound engineer and Carol Hartle, our team administrator. We will be reading the news from Friday, January the 7th until Thursday, January the 13th, starting with the headline stories, followed by some general items, and then some sport, and the obituaries will be at the end of the recording for those who wish to hear them. And our thought for the week is from Psalms 40, verses 1 to 3. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard me cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on the rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And I'll now pass you over to Rianne, who will give you some useful phone numbers. Thank you, Sally. Here are the the useful phone numbers. Here in Wilds Lane, 01905 767 766. Police Non-Emergency, 101. Crime Stoppers, 0800 555 Worcester Hub, 01905 765 765. Worcester Live, 01905 611 427 Malvern Theatres 01684 892 Out of Hours Medical Services Treble 1 That's 111 And Samaritans 116123 And that's a free phone number uh, Today's sunrise is... 8.12am and sunset, 4.21pm. Thank you, Rianne. And now for some items uh, about what's on in the locality. Weekly health walks are being run from the Hive in Worcester. The health walk group is divided into long and short routes. These walks offer the chance to take in the local scenery. They are on flat ground but can include slopes and some steps, so the hive encourages its walkers to wear sensible shoes. Approximately one hour long, the walks usually end with coffee at a local cafe in Worcester. The walks are free of charge and booking is not required. They take place every Wednesday from 10.30am. Worcester's Hive Library has announced it will be hosting a new exhibition next month that explores everyone's relationship with the news. The Breaking the News exhibition is touring the country that includes free talks and screenings and events which examine the era of fake news and post-truth. 
the vital role that the news plays in all our lives today and how it continues to influence the ways in which we navigate the world around us. The exhibition will be at the Hive Library in the Butts between Saturday, February the 12th and Saturday, February the 26th. The Spring Fair at the Worcester Cathedral will take place on Saturday, February the 26th. The fair will be held in the medieval cloisters of the cathedral and will include a variety of stalls, including handmade jewellery, artistic products and flowers, and foliage arrangements, delicious treats and cakes, and other creative goods. The Cloister Café and Cathedral Gift Shop will also be open during the event. The fair will begin at 10am and end at 4pm that day. Admission to the fair is free, but donations are welcomed. The Worcester Church is holding its latest coffee concert event for charity later this month. The musical coffee morning in aid of St Richard's Hospice is being held at St Martin's Church, London Road, on Saturday, January the 22nd. The event, taking place between 10.15am and 11.15am, features the work of Mozart and Schubert. Turning now to Malvern, uh, firstly from Tuesday the 18th to Saturday the 22nd of January, uh, there will be performances of The Dresser, a play by Ronald Harwood starring Julian Clary and Matthew Kelly. Evening performances are at 7.30 and there will be matinees at 2.30 on Wednesday, Thursday and Saturday. Also at Malvern, the Malvern Concert Club will be hosting a recital uh, with Martin Roscoe on the piano and Jennifer Pike violin featuring Beethoven violin sonatas. This, this will be held on Thursday the 20th of January at 7.30. Morven Box Office is on 01684 Finally, returning to Worcester, uh, there will be a performance at Huntingdon Hall given by Logical Tramp <coughs> on Saturday the 22nd of January at 7.30. Based in London, the band is made up of a varied pool of talented professional musicians who have been fortunate enough to have performed around the world as sessional players or as original artists in their own right. That is at 7.30 on Saturday the 22nd of January at Huntingdon Hall. And now uh, the headlines. Starting on Friday the 7th of January, teen burglar posed as officer. A teenage burglar posed as a police officer on a drugs raid before attacking a pensioner and stealing his car. Kai Redburn of Worcester broke into the 77-year-old's home at 5am claiming he was, on, he was a police officer performing a drugs raid before damaging the man's dental fixtures by hitting him in the face and driving off in his golf-type R car. 
However, Radburn was not jailed after he said he would buy himself a bike so he can get to the probation appointments after he missed the first two. The 18-year-old of Fern Road was at Worcester Crown Court on Wednesday for failing to comply with the terms of community order imposed to punish and rehabilitate him for that burglary. Radburn, who spent Christmas in custody because of the breach, claimed he struggled to get to the probation appointments because they were held four miles from his home. So Judge Nicholas Cartwright suggested he buy a bike. He failed without reasonable excuse to attend appointments on September the 2nd and 9th last year. The appointments were part of an 18-month community order which included 200 hours of unpaid work and 14 rehabilitation activity requirement days, none of which Radburn has completed. Amy Parks, prosecuting, said the burglary happened on March the 1st last year when the complainant woke in his living room to find Radburn staring at him around two feet away. When the occupier asked Radburn what he was doing, he claimed to be a police officer conducting a drugs raid. The the pensioner asked to see Radburn's warrant card, but he was not able to provide one. As he went into the kitchen, the pensioner noticed the rear doors were open. Radburn picked up the keys to the victim's golf, telling the pensioner, I need to check it for drugs. After a struggle, the defendant ran out the back door, got into the car and drove away. The car, described by the judge as top-of-the-range performance, was never recovered. Through his solicitor, Radburn asked the judge to give him one more chance. Speaking of the missed appointments, Judge Cartwright said, I appreciate there's a cost involved, but why not get a bicycle or borrow a bicycle? Radburn, speaking from the dock, indicated he did have the money to afford a bike thanks to a grant from social services. Judge Cartwright said, He's got the money for a rather nice bike by the sound of it. I'm far from convinced I would be doing the right thing, but I'm going to give him a chance, another chance. He allowed the community order to continue, but added a further 20 hours to the 200 hours of unpaid work he must complete. Radburn must complete this order within 12 months or he will be breached. Saturday and Sunday, January the 8th and 9th. Armed drug farmer is spared jail. A paranoid cannabis farmer, armed with an imitation submachine gun, who was accidentally shot by police, has been spared jail. Aaron Humphreys appeared over video link from HMP Huell at Worcester Crown Court yesterday following the dramatic incident in Ronxwood Hill when he was shot in the leg by an armed officer. Humphreys was surrounded by armed police at around 9am on October the 2nd last year. Video footage of him falling to the ground after he was hit has already been widely circulated on social media. The 31-year-old of Weatherfield Road, Birmingham, was able to walk unassisted into the video link room, but is understood to still be suffering with his injury. The defendant was also growing 33 cannabis plants at his ex-partner's tanning salon in Dines Green. He told the police she was unaware of the grow. She had not been using the premises because of COVID-19, he told officers. 
As previously reported, the father of two, who has worked as a civil engineer, had already admitted possession of an imitation firearm at a time he was committing another offence, criminal damage at his ex-partner's home in Dines Green. On Saturday, October the 2nd this year, the imitation weapon named in court as an NP5K, a form of submachine gun. He further admitted criminal damage, destroying property without lawful excuse, on the same date, including windows, a door and a ring doorbell belonging to platform housing. Humphreys already stood convicted of the production of cannabis at a commercial unit in Worcester following a hearing at Kidderminster Magistrates Court on October the 16th. The defendant's advocate said his client had a previous diagnosis of personality disorder, psychosis and paranoia. Amanda O'Mara, prosecuting, described how on October the 2nd last year, Humphreys arrived at his ex-partner's home in his BMW and rang the doorbell at her address in Gower Close, Dines Green. Video footage was played from a ring doorbell, which showed him ringing the bell repeatedly before he kicks the camera, smashing it. A homemade doorbell was used to smash the windows of the house and the front door, causing £1,400 worth of damage. Humphreys left, parking his BMW in Ronxwood Hill, and was seen by a passerby who said he saw the defendant inside the car with what looked like a two-foot-long gun on his lap. The witness became suspicious when he discovered the BMW was untaxed after checking online and the police were called. At around 9.02am, armed police arrived and detained the defendant. When he was exiting his BMW, one of the firearms was discharged, striking the defendant in the leg. He was taken to the Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Birmingham for treatment and arrested at 11.59am the same day said Miss O'Mara. The firearm was recovered from the car's passenger footwell, identified as an imitation Heckler and Koch MP5K submachine gun. It did not have a magazine attached. The imitation firearm was later described by a firearms expert who examined it as a good facsimile of the original with a holographic sight and a folding buttstock. In interview, Humphrey said on the day he drank vodka and had taken cocaine, but denied he had ever had the gun on his lap, as described by the witness. The cannabis grow of 33 plants was found after a search warrant was executed at the tanning lounge in Dines Green on April 27th. The electricity supply had been bypassed and the grow contained timers, eight 600-watt lights, fans, hydroponics and tubs of nutrients valued by an expert at around £2,000. If sold at street value, the plants could have fetched up to £27,700. The defendant said the plants were grown for personal use and Judge Jackson said if the prosecution wanted to pursue the allegation, 
It was a commercial operation. It seems to me there needs to be something more than the number of plants involved. Referring to the firearms incident, Judge Jackson said the police gun was accidentally discharged and you were shot in the leg. That is something that continues to affect you to, the day, to this day, said the judge. However, he added, plainly the police must have felt they were justified in approaching you with firearms because they had reports of someone carrying a firearm. They had to treat that seriously. Judge Jackson sentenced Humphreys to 20 months in prison suspended for two years and placed him under supervision of the probation service, ordering him to complete 30 rehabilitation activity requirement days. He was also ordered to pay £1,400 in compensation to platform housing for the damage. The forfeiture and destruction of the cannabis, associated paraphernalia and the replica firearm was also ordered. No order was made for costs given the amount of time Humphreys had already spent in custody awaiting sentence. The shooting itself has been referred to the Independent Office for Police Conduct. Monday, January the 10th. Too late for me, but let's help others. It is a race against time to fulfil the final wish for a man with just weeks to live. Carol and Mike Hull want to raise £30,000 to buy a mole mapping machine that will give other people a chance to spot melanomas earlier. The couple from Witten in Drytwitch have already reached £20,000 but have had been given the devastating news that Mr Hull only has weeks left to live. It will be too late to help Mr Hull, aged 67, who was first diagnosed with a melanoma in 2016 and has tried a number of treatments including clinical trials. Mrs Hull said she wanted to achieve the goal while her husband is still alive to see his efforts were successful. Mr Hull, a former painter and decorator, said this machine will make a really big impact on someone's life. It's too late for my life or Carol's life, but maybe our children or grandchildren. It's going to benefit them. I've been absolutely blown away about how generous and unselfish people have been. I'm speechless, to be honest. There are people who know us and people who don't know us handing us money. It's quite humbling, really. He paid tribute to his absolutely fantastic wife of 46 years as the driving force behind the fundraising so far. The mole mapping machines work like an airport scanner, taking a picture of your whole body to find moles and can detect malignant melanomas at an early stage. There have been walking football tournaments, handmade reindeer and a celebration of Mr Hull's life to raise money. Ex-colleagues from Redditch Firefighters and the Prison Service are organising another walking football tournament and Mrs Hull is organising knitters to make teddy bears. Mrs Hull said it was now a race against time to make sure her husband can see them raise enough to buy the machine for the Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Birmingham. Mike is now at a stage where the tumours have spread everywhere. He still looks well. If you look at him, you wouldn't think he was actually dying, but only has got a few weeks left. I just really want to raise that money so he sees the machine. It's his legacy and his one last wish, really, to give something back to other people. 
To donate online, visit melanomauk.org.uk dash fundraisers dash the Mike Hull body mapping machine. Tuesday, January the 11th. Unjabbed and I'm facing the sack. A tearful NHS worker is refusing to be vaccinated despite the big risk she now could lose her job. Mirren Brewer says she feels the government is blackmailing her and her other vaccinated NHS staff as the deadline fast approaches for when NHS workers must, by law, have received two jabs to stay in their job. Under new rules, coming into force in April, NHS workers face the sack if they don't get jabbed, although there have been some suggestions they may end up being redeployed to other roles. Mrs Brewer, who works as a medical secretary based in Worcester for Worcestershire Acute Hospital, NHS Trust, said, I'm heartbroken, I could lose my job. The voice of unvaccinated NHS workers are not being heard. I'm not having the jab because I believe in freedom of choice and I don't want to consign myself to a life of getting vaccinated and boosted. Mrs Brewer, aged 38, says she doesn't feel it fair to, be de- to demand that she has the jab because she already has antibodies from when she previously suffered from COVID. She also believes that it is not reasonable to require the vaccination because protection may only last a few weeks and she's also worried about any adverse side effects. The Droitwich resident said there was now a lot of uncertainty over her job. They have said there is a chance of redeployment but there is no guarantee, Mrs Brewer said. I'm not patient-facing, but they were told we fall under the scope of regulations regardless. One minute they're clapping us, the next they're blackmailing us. I love my job. I have broken down in tears over this. The mum of two said, I believe the risk is greater than the thing they are meant to be protecting us from, especially when they've already had COVID. The deadline for staff to be double-jabbed is March the 31st, but workers will need to have received their first vaccination by February the 3rd to have the vaccination in time. The NHS encourages people to still get vaccinated even if they have previously had COVID-19 or tested positive for antibodies in the past and says vaccination are safe. A Department of Health and Social Care spokesman said it wouldn't comment on individual cases, but added, NHS and care staff do amazing work and we are thankful to those who have chosen to get the vaccine. Vaccinations remain our best defence against COVID. This is about patient safety and ensuring we are doing everything we can to reduce risk for vulnerable people. There are no plans to change the implementation dates. Paul Brennan, Deputy Chief Executive of Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust, said We continue to encourage all our staff to protect themselves, their colleagues and our patients by making sure they are fully vaccinated against COVID-19 and will do everything we can to support and reassure our staff who have any concerns. Once the detailed guidance is released, we will explore any possibilities for redeploying the unvaccinated staff. However, our priority must be the safety of our patients and colleagues and would urge anyone who is not yet fully vaccinated to get the jab as soon as possible. Wednesday, January the 12th. Two charged with Alfie murder. The mum of nine-year-old Alfie Steele and her partner are due to appear in court next month 
charged with his murder. Carla Scott, 34, and Dirk Howell, 39, are accused of the murder of Alfie following his death at a house in Droitwich on February the 18th last year. Both face other associated child cruelty charges said to have been committed against Alfie before his death. Both are due to appear at Worcester Crown Court on February the 25th this year for a plea and trial preparation hearing. Alfie Steele died at Queen Elizabeth Hospital, Birmingham, after he had been airlifted from his home in Droitwich. Scott also faces another charge of causing or allowing the death of a child. The charge reads that, having been a person who was a member of the same household as, and had frequent contact with, Alfie Steele, a child who died on February the 18th, 2021, as a result of the unlawful act of such a person, and there having been at that time a significant risk of serious physical harm being caused to Alfie Steele by the unlawful act of such a person, either A, caused Alfie Steele's death by her own unlawful act, or B, was or ought to have been aware of that risk and failed to take such steps as she could reasonably have been expected to take to protect Alfie Steele from the risk, the unlawful act having occurred in circumstances of the kind that he foresaw or ought to have foreseen. Howell faces an identical charge of causing or allowing the death of a child, forming a separate count on the indictment. Both also face a charge of cruelty to a person aged under 16 between July the 13th, 2019 and February the 18th, 2021. It is said that having the responsibility for Alfie Steele, a child under that age, willfully assaulted, ill-treated, neglected, abandoned or exposed the said Alfie Steele in a manner likely to cause the said Alfie Steele unnecessary suffering or injury to health. Following his death, Alfie's granddad, Paul Scott, has spoken of his smile that would melt butter and his inquisitive nature, he said, we are completely devastated by the loss of Alfie. He had a smile that would melt butter. He was intelligent and inquisitive and was courageous like a lion. He was a good Christian boy who was full of God. Thursday, January the 13th. Two held for attempted murder. Residents in Wiles Lane were left terrified after more than 20 armed police officers swarmed the road before arresting two men on suspicion of attempted murder. People living in the road watched in fear from their windows as police descended on the road in Worcester at 3.20pm on Tuesday. One resident said, We were absolutely terrified. We are still shaken up. It was awful. It really worries you when this kind of thing happens so close to where you live. It is safe to say we all locked our doors as tight as we could last night. Police say they received reports of a serious assault. Two men were injured during the incident and have been transferred to Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Birmingham by ambulance. 
One of the victims, a 49-year-old man, is reported to have suffered serious injuries. The neighbour said, Wilds Lane does have a bit of a reputation for crime-related incidents, but this was nothing like we had experienced. It felt like there were 20-plus officers in the road that were armed, with at least five big police vehicles. There was a lot of commotion and swearing whilst officers were trying to enter a house. It was all such a shock. There was a heavy police presence in the area after the incident into the night whilst the investigations continued. There are significantly fewer officers and police vehicles at the scene yesterday. Two men, aged 23 and 48, have been arrested on suspicion of attempted murder and are in police custody. Inspector Fergus Green said, We understand that incidents of this nature and a large police presence can be concerning for the public. I would like to reassure residents that we believe this to be an isolated incident and there is no threat to the wider community. And now for the general news. Work has begun on a new multi-million pound temporary unit at the county's main hospital. The new clinical admissions unit at Worcestershire Royal Hospital will free up emergency department space and reduce pressure on staff, hospital bosses say. Worcestershire Acute Hospital's NHS Trust has received an extra eight million capital funding from NHS England and Improvement to create the 30-place short-stay unit. The new temporary unit will be an unoccupied area on the first floor of Worcestershire Oncology Centre and the aim is for the unit to be built and ready to receive patients before the end of February. Paul Brennan, Deputy Chief Executive of Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust, said Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust has been fortunate to receive a significant amount of national funding to support the efforts of our health and care teams who are working incredibly hard to care for patients in need of urgent and emergency care. We are looking forward to the new clinical admissions unit opening to further support these efforts and help us ensure patients receive safe and timely care. Additionally, plans to transform urgent and emergency care services at Worcestershire Royal Hospital will see the relocation and expansion of the hospital's emergency department, medical assessment unit and ambulatory emergency care, hosting a wide range of diagnostic and treatment services. They are are already well underway with a plan to be fully operational by the end of 2022. With the work getting underway, the Hospital Trust has also reminded people they can do their bit by relieve it, to relieve pressure on the NHS by getting their COVID and flu vaccines and choosing the right services properly for their needs. People feeling ill are reminded to choose wisely between their local pharmacy, GPs, minor injury units and NHS 111 and only use the emergency department for the most serious illness and injury. The Bishop of Worcester received a surprise in the post this week. Dr John Inge posted on Twitter a photograph of the letter addressed to the Lord Bishop and his sexy wife. The letter had no address, simply Worcester, and the Bishop saw the funny side of things, thanking Royal Mail for managing to get the letter to him. In his tweet he said, Good old Royal Mail! This arrived safely yesterday. When asked in the replies to the tweet who had sent the letter, 
he replied that it came from someone wise and discerning. Speaking to the Telegraph, he said, When I married my wife, people said I was punching above my weight, and I have to agree. We both found it very funny when the letter arrived, addressed in that way. According to the Telegraph, Miss Colston was as pleased as her husband to be addressed in such complimentary terms. She thought it was very amusing and was happy for me to tweet it, said Dr Inge. I'm all for Twitter being fun and not just for miserable things. The letter to Dr Inge came from a friend who had earlier joked with him about how to address him properly in writing. The bishop's tweet prompted widespread amusement, with observers wondering which piece of information was the deciding factor for Worcester's Royal Mail staff in identifying its proper recipient. Can't help wondering whether it was the first or the second line of the address that provided the clinching piece of information, said Gareth Thomas, Emeritus Professor of Employment Law at University of East Anglia on Twitter. Dr Inge's first wife, Denise, died of cancer in 2014, aged just 51, and left behind two children. When he became engaged to H.J., he said, To have found love again is a most wonderful thing, and I feel immensely blessed. Dr John Inge married his wife, H.J. Colston, at St Catherine's Church in Holt, near Bath, in January 2018, after knowing each other for 20 years. The bishop has two daughters, Eleanor and Olivia, while H.J. has two sons, Luke and Toby. Worcester City Council has awarded a grant of £20,000 to the city's Citizens Advice Bureau, CAB. This is to help it increase its capacity to support local people during what is expected to be an exceptionally busy period. The start of the new year always brings a surge in inquiries to Worcester CAB, particularly in the areas of debt, benefits, housing and employment. Worcester City Council predicts that the impact of the ongoing pandemic is expected to further increase demands for the CAB's services. The City Council has made the award from its £337,000 share of the Government's Household Support Fund, HSF, designed to help people who may struggle this winter to meet their basic needs, such as food and energy. Sonia Gregory, Advice Services Manager for Citizens Advice Worcester, said, We are pleased to have been awarded funding from Worcester City Council. This will make a difference to the level of service we can offer the local community. We will be able to employ staff to help people with the complex problems they are experiencing. This additional resource will be able to work alongside our volunteers when the more specialised areas of advice are required. Advice services are particularly important at the moment as many people have found themselves facing difficult problems due to the financial and social consequences of the COVID-19 crisis and are not sure where to turn. We would like to thank Worcester City Council for their ongoing support of our service. Councillor Mark Bayliss, leader of Worcester City Council, said The start of 2022 is another uncertain time for people across Worcester and many will need the support that the CAB can offer. I am very pleased that we have been able to provide financial support to this very important organisation. 
Worcester CAB is based in the hop market off the Foregate. City residents who need advice and support can call for free on 0808 278 7891. A man was rescued by firefighters from debris floating on the ice-cold waters of the River Severn. The man was found on top of an island of debris trapped against North Worcester Bridge near North Quay after last month's floods. Two men were taken to Worcestershire Royal Hospital, the man who fell into the river and a second who suffered a medical episode near the bridge. Emergency services were called to to reports of a concern for safety at just after 9pm on Tuesday. Worcester Bridge was closed to traffic as they worked to rescue the man. Overnight, temperatures plummeted to naught degrees as the man clung to the debris while rescue boats were sent to retrieve him. Firefighters got him to safety where he was taken by paramedics and to hospital by ambulance. West Midlands Ambulance Service said the man sustained injuries which were not thought to be life-threatening. A spokeswoman said, We were called at 9.16 to reports of an incident in the water near Grandstand Road. On arrival, we found a man who had been extricated from the water. He had sustained injuries not considered to be life-threatening and was taken to Worcestershire Royal Hospital for further assessment. A second patient who suffered a medical episode at the same location was also assessed and conveyed to Worcester Royal Hospital for further assessment. Two ambulances, a paramedic officer and the hazardous area response team were sent to the scene. A driver said, We were turned away initially at the bridge this evening, but it reopened soon after. My son thought he saw someone receiving treatment on the Premier Inn side after we got to drive over. There was a large amount of emergency vehicles. Fire crews from Droitwich, Worcester and Evesham were sent to the bridge at 9.13, which reopened at just after 11. A mum who shared more than four stone as part of a slimming regime is now looking for her next health challenge. Tony Dunn of Poick shed the weight after joining Slimming World in January last year but is not one to rest on her laurels. The 30-year-old achieved her target despite moving house during last year, which she felt at one stage might set her back and force her to revise her target. A mum of two, she said family and friends, had been supportive as she dropped from 18 stone to under 14 stone after attending the Bromwich Road Mission Free Church group. Slimming World consultant Nikki Poole said, Here's one of my members looking just fabulous after reaching her target weight after losing four stone. She says, I just wanted to be comfortable in clothes again. I was at my absolute biggest, struggled walking the dog, getting up the stairs, etc. And I knew I had to make a change. Miss Dunn said she wanted to be able to maintain her weight by making permanent changes to her diet and lifestyle. She said, I wanted to make sure before I joined Slimming World, I was making life changes as opposed to just losing weight. Her next goal is to focus on fitness. One of her initial motivations for losing weight was because she was struggling to climb the stairs and also fit into the clothes she wanted to wear. Nothing would fit me, she said. The Financial Services Project Support Administrator said, Slimming World is absolutely the way to move forward. 
It's about changing your lifestyle as a whole. It's so, so easy. In a shared post on social media with friends last month, she wrote, I woke up last year and decided this year I was taking control of my body, how it looked, how I gave it energy and how I could help manage my mental health through food and nutrition. January the 9th was D-Day and I swore I was losing four stone by Christmas. Today I hit that goal. I've educated myself on food, calories, how I can volume eat and how my hormones play a part in my food cravings. This hasn't been a diet for me. It's been an education and lifestyle change. This week I had a McDonald's festive snack, Christmas buffet food and one and a half bottles of wine and I still lost four pounds because I walked, I managed the rest of my meals and I stayed in control. Worcestershire residents are set to be hit with higher council taxes once the budget is rubber-stamped next month. County councillors say they have opted for a draft budget which will see record investment into adults and children's social care, but that it comes at a cost. The average Band D household is expected to pay £52.95 more each year, an average of £1 per week. At a Cabinet meeting on Thursday morning, Leader of the Council with Responsibility for Finance, Simon Geraghty, said, We are very mindful that whilst we are proposing a council tax rise of some £1 per week, that we need to balance that rise because people are facing difficulties. We are not proposing the maximum rise in council tax permitted, and the rise will mean that we remain as one of the lowest levels of county council tax in the country. In total, the budget will rise by 0.94% plus a 1% adult social care levy and a 2% adult social care levy that was carried forward from 2021-22. The net budget for 22-23 will sit at just over £373 million, a growth of £38.4 million. The budget for adult and children's social care will rise by £25 million, £17.1 million going to adult care and £7.9 million going to children's. Councillor Andy Roberts, with responsibility for children and families, said, I was struck when I read the whole thing by the magnitude of what we are talking about, a million pounds of spending a day. It's quite reasonable for the taxpayer to look beyond all the spend and say, what is my council tax going to? When it comes through the letterbox, you're looking at the bottom line. Three quarters of the rise is to help those who are most vulnerable. What better testament could we have from today than to say that's a valid way to spend money? money. Councillor Tony Miller added, It's always painful when you have got to pay more out, but speaking to the parish councils that I go to, when you say, do we reduce funding for caring for people or do we increase it? Nobody argues about an increase for caring for people. Labour councillor Richard Udall urged the Cabinet to work with the opposition and scrutiny committees. He said, we are not the enemy, we can help. I would ask you not to instinctively reject any suggestions from opposition parties. We want to work with you to get the best out of difficult times. 
cooperation and willingness to hear different views could lead to an even better budget. Worcester City Council has restored funding for the Worcester Arts Council, which works to promote the arts throughout the city. The WAC is a membership organisation which previously used the funding to offer small grants to its members which could be applied for. The scheme was removed in 2018 and replaced by a community grants mechanism set up by the City Council directly, which in turn stopped the WAC from proving this service itself. Some of the groups that the WAC helps include Opera Worcester, Worcester Gilbert and Sullivan Society, All Sorts of Performing Arts, Worcester Philharmonic Orchestra, Worcester Concert Club, Worcestershire Early Music, the Elgar Festival and Worcester Music Theatre Company. The City Council previously was funded the WAC £3,000 annually to help promote the arts in Worcester. Following support from the Chief Executive of the City Council, David Blake, and the leader of the City Council, Mark Bayliss, the grant was reinstated. Chairman of the Worcester Arts Council, George Squires, said... I am delighted that Worcester Arts Council can once again support local arts organisations thanks to the restoration of its grant from Worcester City Council. The WAC was established in the 1980s and was awarded grants to numerous organisations to help them put on shows, purchase much-needed equipment or protect them against making a loss on productions. A Worcester City Council spokesman, Worcester Arts Council do great work for the local community arts sector and we are very happy to be supporting them. During the last full year of operation before the COVID-19 pandemic began, the WAC stated that over 5,000 people benefited from these grants, of which over 200 were directly involved in staging events, while the others attended the events. The WAC encourages art-focused organisations to become members and seek support when needed. A valuable set of the Lord of the Rings, which was stolen from a hospice charity shop in Worcester and later returned to the store, now has a new owner. The happy ending is the latest in the plot twists surrounding the theft of the three-volume set, which includes The Fellowship of the Ring, The Two Towers and The Return of the King by J.R.R. Tolkien. The books were taken from a locked display cabinet at St Richard's Hospice Shop in St Swithin Street on Sunday, December the 19th. Following a hospice appeal asking for their safe return, which was shared hundreds of times across social media, the books were returned to a shelf in the store on Wednesday, December the 29th. The books were on sale for £1,495 and as soon as they were available to buy again, they were snapped up by a Saudi-based businessman and long-time Tolkien fan. Martin Clark, whose family live in the UK, said, I have been a big Tolkien fan for some 45 years and wanting a set of these books for some time. Having seen the BBC coverage of the loss and return of the books, I thought that here's a set which has a bit of a story behind it and I'm very happy to support a worthwhile charity. Dan Corns, commercial director at St Richard's, said, This is a happy ending to the tale and we're thrilled that these beautiful books have gone to an owner who will really treasure them. 
It was the first sale of the year for our St Swithin Street charity shop in Worcester and we hope it is a sign of more good things to come in 2022. Mr Corns added, This is a considerable sum towards our hospice care and we are grateful to Mr Clark and also everyone in the community who has helped us raise awareness of our appeal. Sarah Jane Morgan, Chief Executive of Worcester Theatres, has written the following. With a jubilance that raised the roof of the Swan Theatre on Sunday night, we brought down the final curtain on Beauty and the Beast. No fewer than 59 performances in the current climate was an unbelievable achievement and one that I am personally incredibly proud that we achieved considering theatres across the country were forced to shut down early. My heart goes out to them. This year, pantomime meant more than ever before to us all. It was about coming together in a time when nothing yet is certain. When we are trying to give normality to our children and families and we all sat in an auditorium protecting each other with all COVID measures in place, masks hiding our laughing faces, the pandemic could not dampen our enjoyment of pantomime or inhibit Worcester Theatre's determination to bring the very best entertainment to everyone who needed pantomime to complete their Christmas celebrations this year. The theatre now breathes a little, resting, recovering and being put back together for the season ahead. The set has been returned, cloths packed, clothes packed away, lights cleaned, Pat tested and finally the stage is repainted from yellow to black, the traditional colour of every stage all year, except when pantomime comes knocking. For seven weeks, the company who were embedded in our very close-knit team here at Worcester Theatres have now dispersed, back to homes across the country, back to temporary jobs, back to auditions for their next big role, but taking with them a little bit of the Worcester Rep's latest triumph with them that has brought incredible enjoyment to patrons of all ages over the past five weeks. Thank you to everyone who came to Beauty and the Beast this year. Cinderella is already on sale, so book now to get the best seats in the house. Go to worcestertheatres.co.uk. A pharmacy has had to make changes to its service amid abuse from people and increasing demand. Kitson's Pharmacy in Broad Street has had to strip down some of its services as it deals with a workforce crisis and a dramatic increase in COVID-related absences. Director's Assistant Jeevan Sohal said staff have faced the brunt of people's frustrations at a lack of lateral flow tests. However, after the Worcester News highlighted the issue, Kitson's has been visited by people who have apologised on behalf of those who abuse them. The stretched service is now having to announce that its free medication delivery service is being stripped back. A statement from the pharmacy said, This service is not funded by the NHS and is run entirely by the pharmacy. As you can imagine, this service comes with multitudinous costs, with increasing fuel prices, driver's wages, vehicle maintenance and insurance costs. This service is becoming incredibly difficult for us to maintain. If you can collect your medication, we would urge you to do so. This helps us to ensure that medication is delivered to those who really need it most. The pharmacy said it was facing disruption because of a dramatic increase in COVID-19 related absences including self-isolation and contact tracing, which is affecting its ability to deliver, to deliver services to the community. We have seen an increase in verbal abuse across all our methods of communication, including patients visiting us in-store, 
over the counter, via the telephone and across our website and email routes. We have unfortunately seen staff members leave us due to mental health and well-being reasons. We ask for you to be patient and work with us to help us help you. It is therefore a shame to have seen the countless occasions of verbal abuse to our team in the run-up to Christmas and the New Year. Our message hasn't changed. We are still here for you. People have been swearing and shouting at staff members, annoyed at a national shortage of lateral flow tests. However, while Kitsons is signed up to Pharmacy Collect, the free LFD tests are only handed out if there is stock available. Parents of a brain-injured girl have been embroiled in an exhausting battle with the County Council to get her the education and services she is entitled to. Tim Clark's brain-injured eight-year-old daughter has been left with virtually no provision since the age of five when her complex difficulties prevented her from attending her main school, mainstream primary school. Mr Clark from St John's has spoken out following the release of an Ofsted and CQC report into Worcestershire Special Education Needs and Disability, SEND. The report found improvements had been made in 8 out of 12 significant weaknesses identified at the initial inspection in 2018. However, it also found there were still fragile relationships with parents and issues remained with education and health care, EHC plans. Councillor Marcus Hart, Cabinet Member for Education, recognised there is a lot more needed to be done to improve its SEND services and provision across Worcestershire. Mr Clark and his wife Anna applied for an EHC plan in April 2019 but faced a painstaking and expensive battle with the local authority while their daughter has been left without therapy or educational provision. Left without support, their once bright and happy daughter, whose acquired brain injury was caused by an inflammatory brain condition, has deteriorated cognitively as well as socially and emotionally. She is now too unwell to attend even a specialist setting. Mr Clark, 43, said, It has been an absolutely exhausting battle and even now our daughter continues to be deprived of education or therapy apart from some activities that we have sourced ourselves. These are the most critical years of a child's brain development and yet the local authority has thwarted us at every stage in trying to get her the support she's entitled to. Had she received the right therapy and support even just two years ago, I am certain she would be in a much better place. What little she has, we have had sourced and in some cases funded ourselves. The family finally secured a package of educational support and therapy at their tribunal hearing in September 2021. The package, known as Education Other Than at School, EOTAS includes nearly 40 hours of therapies and activities as well as respite care each week. But four months on from the clerks winning their appeal, the SEND team at County Hall has failed to implement the judge's order. 
They also claim the local authority has also repeatedly failed to address issues. Councillor Hart said, despite a positive step forward overall with the feedback we received from the reinspection from Ofsted, we recognise there is a lot more that we need to do to improve our SEND services and provision across Worcestershire. We are sorry for any parent carer that has received a negative experience and we are working with the family to endeavour to agree and provide support and provision to meet their needs. Following the publication of the SEND reinspection report last week, we fully accept the findings and we are working on an action plan to address the four remaining areas of concern and build on the progress we have made in the eight other areas. We will share this plan on the SEN local offer and with schools and settings and will provide updates about our progress and the impact of our work on a regular basis, including feedback from families. Over £46,000 has been raised for St Richard's Hospice thanks to a record-breaking Christmas tree collection campaign. Staff coordinated a small army of 166 volunteers who pulled together to round up a mammoth 2,162 unwanted trees for recycling during a meticulously planned two-day operation. The unwanted trees were registered for donation by people across 13 postcodes in Worcestershire with no fixed price or donation charged by the hospice which instead opted to offer residents the chance to give what they wanted. In an astounding response of generosity, the average donation came in at a whopping £20, helping to smash the record amount raised in the six years the hospice has been running the collection. Rhea Simons, corporate fundraiser at St Richard's Hospice, said... We had the greatest number of volunteers we've ever had this year, but we're so pleased with how smoothly smoothly the operation went and we owe a huge amount of that to the people at Aptine who mapped the route for us free of charge. A large amount of our volunteers have been with us since day one and if you get it spot on, people will continue to come back as it's such an enjoyable campaign to be involved with. There are too many to mention, but we have had a huge number of businesses who took part this year. The hospice must generate millions of pounds each year to continue its work helping patients, family members and bereaved people across Worcestershire. The hospice raised £46,500 and collected 2,162 trees. Discussions are set to take place on the possibility of introducing more 20 mile per hour zones in Worcester. A new member advisory group has been formed to review the current criteria on imposing the reduced speed limits on the city's streets. Campaigners say it is currently too hard to implement change under the current benchmarks despite the demand from residents. However, Councillor Alan Amos, who will chair the member advisory group, has said while while he'll consider amending the criteria, he doesn't think 20 mile an hour limits are the answer to snaring speeding drivers. He said following a council debate last year, we said we'd have to look at the criteria for 20 mile an hour speed limits to see if we need to amend or update them in any way. This is definitely not about plastering 20-mile-an-hour zones all over the city. Introducing 20-mile-an-hour speed zones doesn't work. 
They aren't enforced by the police and they're actually quite expensive because normally you need engineering works to make them effective. Instead of just putting up a sign, you need to introduce measures such as speed bumps, build-outs and so on to slow the traffic down. It's extremely expensive. In one case, implementing a 20-mile-an-hour zone in a single street in Redditch cost the council in excess of £50,000. It's not as simple as putting up a sign and then everybody slows down. If that were the case, we could have them all over the place. We need to provide to proceed carefully and sensibly. Green County Councillor Matthew Jenkins, who will be on the member advisory group, said many people want more 20 mile an hour zones and cited their success in neighbouring cities such as Birmingham. He insisted it should be achieved in a cost-effective way. It's seen very much from a highways engineering perspective where things such as accident statistics are used as the deciding factor. But there is a lot of evidence about the public health benefits of slowing speed limits where people live. Slower speeds mean more people feel like they can walk or cycle. The support is definitely there. That's the annoying thing. We know the people want it and I want it too, but it's just being stopped. A lot of the roads I'm looking at, for example, Shrubbery Avenue, Flag Meadow Walk and St George's Lane, are all Victorian-style properties with lots of cars parked on the road. Those cars often essentially create a single lane, meaning drivers have to pull in and give way so others can pass by, so they actually act as a natural speed limiter anyway. The places I'm talking about aren't wide main roads where you might need to pull in some kind of speed... where you might need to put in some kind of speed bumps. But even if in the odd case they were... Why don't we let the local councillor decide whether they want to spend some of their money? So, if we want a 20 mile an hour speed limit in an area and we're willing to stump up the cash, let's do it. The work to redevelop a former newspaper office in Worcester is on track. Barrows House, the former home of the Worcester News, is being redeveloped by the University of Worcester, which plans to use it for teaching medical students. The building was the home of the paper until 2020, when its operations were moved to London Road. Over the last few months, the former newspaper office has been partially demolished, with a new structure and metal framework being put in to give the historic building a new lease of life. A university spokesman provided an update on the work, saying... The works to refurbish the former Barrows House building to new outstanding facilities to educate health professions is progressing well. The overwhelming majority of demolition works are now complete and the installation of structural framing continues. The university is hoping that the building will be ready for use in early 2023 when students studying across a range of health courses, including nursing, midwifery, paramedic science, and those studying on the university's new medical degree, will have access to new state-of-the-art facilities. The university is the major educator of health professionals in the three counties of Gloucestershire, Herefordshire and Worcestershire, as well as much of Dudley and Hales-Owen. This new facility will enable the university to educate even more of these professionals, 
playing a key role in ending the chronic shortage of medical and health professionals in the region. Worcester News agreed the deal to sell the Hilton Road building to the university back in 2019. The paper had been based at the building since 1965. Plans for the renovation, drawn up by Midlands-based Glancy Nichols Architects, include a state-of-the-art anatomy laboratory, a suite of GP simulation rooms and a range of general seminar and teaching rooms. There will also be offices, breakout spaces for study group and a cafe. Low or zero carbon technologies will be used throughout the building in line with the university's environmental and sustainability ethos with the aspiration of achieving RICS SKA Gold, the top environmental accreditation for buildings. A Worcester Butchers has gone into administration. D&M Meats, based at Venture Business Park, has suddenly closed with a sign put up on its door saying, Regrettably, D&M Meats Limited has now gone into administration. A contact number for the insolvency firm Salesmith & Co was left with the note, which we tried but had no response after our request for comment. It is unclear how many staff now face redundancy. One employee spoke out on social media, claiming staff only learned the firm was in administration after turning up for work on Thursday morning, January the 6th, and discovered the note. The former employee added they were disappointed at how staff had been treated. A reporter visited the shop at the business park in Weir Lane but found it deserted and completely closed to the public. The butcher's website, dandmmeats.co.uk, appears to have been completely taken down as it currently displays a message saying, Maintenance mode. This site is currently undergoing scheduled maintenance. Please check back soon. The Facebook page also appears to have been taken down. Sharon Bonus Johnson posted a sad face emoji on the WR3 Residence Info Group at the news saying, We used to always get their meat and especially for barbecues. Chris Thorpe said, That's a shame. Chris Jones, Christine Jones said, Oh no, I love their meats. I went just before Christmas. Gutted. Alistair Bird added, I imagine the reduced hospitality orders hit hard. The business made headlines in April 2018 when Michael Jacob, the owner of DNM Meats at the time, shot to local fame by giving away free meat on Facebook. Mr Jacob was seen in the videos pacing up and down in the store in the videos speaking to the camera while holding various packets of meat. It's getting people to come back into butcher shops to buy the meat rather than going to a chain and throwing it in the trolley like a tin of beans, he told us. And now for some items of sport. Manager Russ Penn was left speechless by his sides here by his sides heroics on Saturday evening as Kidderminster Harriers produced a huge FA Cup shock by cam- coming from behind to beat Championship side Reading and earn a fourth round date with Premier League West Ham. Over 5,000 were packed into Agborough Stadium to experience what was a memorable day in the history of the club who have reached the fourth round for the first time in 27 years. 
And now, David Moyes' charges will head to Agborough as their memorable adventure in the competition rolls on thanks to second-half goals from Sam Austin and Amari Morgan-Smith. The Royals led 1-0 at the break through George Puska's 44th-minute strike, but Harriers roared back in the second half to reach round four. I'm pretty speechless, to be honest, admitted Penn. I will reflect on it tonight through all the videos and montages, but I'm so proud of this club and these players because they really deserve it. Going behind like we did just before half-time spurred us on, I think. We knew we had to go on and score. If it had been nil-nil, it would have been more than more about trying to hold on and sit back. But that impetus to go and score a goal meant we were ten yards higher up the pitch, we were more aggressive, and when we equalised, there was only ever going to be one team winning in it from there. 78 league places and four divisions separated the two sides, but it was the hosts who looked like the higher-level team, and they are the ones who take their place in the next round. The draw was made on Sunday afternoon and it produced a classic FA Cup tie for Penn's men as the likes of Michael Antonio and Declan Rice will rock up in Kidderminster for what is a mouth-watering clash for the supporters. Worcester Warriors prop Rory Sutherland has received a three-game ban after his sending off in the second minute of the 22-19 Galaha Premiership defeat at Bath last weekend. The Scotland and British and Irish Lion made contact with the head of Bath's Will Stewart during an early collision and was shown a red card by referee Craig Maxwell-Keys. He will miss the next two European Challenge Cup games with Toulon this weekend and Zebra next weekend, as well as the Gallagher Premiership clash with Northampton Saints on January the 29th. But Sutherland will be able to face Northampton if he successfully completes the World Rugby Coaching Intervention Programme. Sutherland had tried to convince the independent disciplinary panel, comprising Charles Cuthbert Chair, Ollie Cohn and Tony Wheat, that Stewart's actions were worthy of mitigation. Something that head coach Jonathan Thomas was in support of. We did not think it was a red card, he said. If you go to the World Rugby website and look at what defines a red card, a yellow card and a penalty with a head-on collision, it was clear to us it was a yellow It was obvious to us that Rory was not the aggressor, he was static at the point of contact and the huge mitigating factor was that the Bath player used footwork which caused the collision. The examples on World Rugby's website is that footwork before the collision is what brings a red card down to a yellow, that's the mitigation. We went through the process and that's why we felt strongly about the case, but unfortunately the judiciary did not agree. Panel chair Charles Cuthbert said the player accepted that he had committed an act of foul play in which his head had made direct contact with that of the opposing player. It was not accepted that the act merited a red card. The player sought to persuade the panel 
that when applying the head contact process, HCP, it was possible to apply mitigating factors on account of the ball carrier's sideways step shortly before contact. The panel considered the oral submissions from the club and the player, as well as those of the RFU, but did not find that the movement of the Bath player was sufficient to allow reduction from red card to yellow card. The charge was therefore upheld. Due to a clean disciplinary record and an open approach to the hearing, the ban was left at three games for Warriors' summer signing. However, that will be reduced to two games after Sutherland or sought permission to apply to World Rugby to take part in the coaching intervention programme, which the panel approved. If he is successful in that process, he will be allowed to play in that clash with Northampton. Worcestershire County Cricket Club assistant coach Alan Richardson has received further international recognition by being named England's pace bowling coach for the forthcoming IT20 series against the West Indies in the Caribbean. Richardson has been appointed for the five-match series along with Anthony McGrath, batting coach, and Paul Tweddle, fielding coach. Worcestershire Cricket Steering Group chairman Paul Pridgen says... Richardson's appointment is a just reward for all of the coaching staff at New Road. Richardson, who is also Worcestershire bowling coach, was also part of the England's men's coaching setup last summer for the Royal London Series victory over Pakistan. Pridgen said, It is another feather in the cap for the club. Alan is very highly respected within the game. It also shows he must have impressed when part of the England setup against Pakistan last summer and we are delighted for him to get this latest call-up. He has made a big impression at Worcestershire and we've got a terrific coaching team. This is a just reward for all of them. The trio were appointed for the five-match series, which begins in Barbados on January the 22nd, following an open recruitment and interview process. Paul Collingwood has previously been confirmed as head coach for the tour, with Marcus Truscothic an assistant coach. The squad is due to fly to Barbados on Saturday. Meanwhile, the Worcestershire squad is back in action as its winter training gets underway. The squad is back at its Malvern College winter base after a break for the festive season. Head coach Alex Gidman said there would be an emphasis on competitive nets to try to replicate the situation batsmen and bowlers face out in the middle. He said the first block of training before Christmas has been good and as always our lads worked extremely hard. We gave a bit more ownership to the players from a skill perspective before Christmas and they worked extremely hard in the gym and with their fitness work and their fitness levels are even higher which is brilliant. Now we are looking forward after Christmas and starting the competitive nets. I'm a big believer in batters versus bowlers and it's what they and we do for a living. The quicker we can put the things they are practising into play against each other, it is better than facing a bowling machine and better than bowling at a target. And that's the end of our contribution for this week's news. So goodbye from all of us. Goodbye. 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 And now for this week's obituaries. Derek Henry Kitchener passed away peacefully on December the 17th.
Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium Chapel on Tuesday, January the 18th at 13.45pm, followed by internment. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, for Cancer Research UK may be placed in the collection box available at the service. Janet Margaret Knight sadly passed away on the 18th of December. A service will be held on the 12th of January 2022 at St James's Church, Norton. Family flowers only. If desired, donations can be made to St Richard's, care of Jackson Family Funeral Directors. Susan Margaret Ellen Weaver passed away peacefully on December the 19th. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Friday the 21st of January at 3.15pm. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, for Kidney Care UK. Inquiries to the Cooperative Funeral Care. Howard Vivian Taylor passed away peacefully on the 20th of December Funeral service at St Stephen's Church on Wednesday the 19th of January at 12.15pm, followed by interment at Aswood Cemetery. Flowers or donations, if desired, for Cancer Research UK may be sent to E.J. Gummery and Son. A collection plate will be available at church. Anne Cox died on December the 22nd. The funeral service will be held at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, January the 18th at 11.30am. Donations, if desired, for St Richard's Hospice. Joan Lillian Bowdler, former City Council officer, passed away on the 24th of December. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Monday the 17th of January at 10.45am. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for the Macula Society or the Donkey Sanctuary may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son. Susan Sue Margaret Morris passed away peacefully on December the 25th. The funeral service will take place at Hereford Crematorium on Friday, January the 28th at 2.15pm. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, will be shared between the Bromyard Bahuri Community Link and the Alzheimer's Society. Inquiries to Emma Bulston Funeral Services. Joan Windsor passed away on the 27th of December. Funeral service to be held at Worcester Crematorium on Friday the 21st of January at 12.15. Family flowers only, please, but donations if desired to Dementia UK may be sent care of F.W. Spilsbury. Josephine Porter passed away on December the 27th. The funeral service will take place on Thursday the 20th of January at St Mark's Cherry Orchard at 11.15 followed by a private committal at Worcester Crematorium. Family flowers only, please, with donations to Air Ambulance. All inquiries to AV Band. 
Roy, Edward Roy Slade, on 28th of December, service to take place at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday the 1st of February at 11.30am. Family flowers only, but donations, if desired, for Cancer Research UK may be left in the donation box. Susan Cullimore, on 31st of December, funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday the 20th of January at 10.45. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired for cancer research, may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son. And Derek Malcolm Miles, B.E.M., passed away peacefully on the 3rd of January, Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Monday the 24th of January at 12.15. Family flowers only, please, and donations, if desired, for the Alzheimer's Society may be left at the service or care of Bedwardine Funeral Services. And our thoughts and prayers go to all those uh, who've lost loved ones recently. <laughs> 